I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, July 11th, 2022, the 537th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to this episode on the day of its release, or even within the first 36 hours of its release because that means that you are a paid subscriber on the Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com, which means you're supporting the show, and I thank you for doing so. If you are hearing this episode later on a platform like Rumble or a podcast app, the only way to hear the show on time is to become a paid subscriber on the Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. That is under one small, shiny quarter per episode. And you get immediate access to the writing and anything else I do on Substack. So I want to start out by sharing a conversation I had over the weekend, and I think it might help to illustrate 
where I am coming from and where I see some of this going in terms of the bigger picture and how I see the country coming together eventually, etc. So I've been working on kind of like a press pack or a, a little deck that is kind of about me and the show and my backstory so that I can approach other podcasts that would potentially have me on to have me on as a guest. Now, it's impossible for me to go on mainstream podcasts, of course, because I'm a no-no person who says the no-no things and podcast hosts who are desperately clinging to the central narrative do not want to have the no-no people on to discuss anything outside of the central narrative. And a lot of very normy centrist types who think that they're very edgy, but are still entirely addicted to the central narrative, believe that they have found this sweet spot where they can criticize Joe Biden to a liberal audience, but still tell them about how mean and bad and dishonest and weak and stupid Donald Trump is and how crazy his supporters are. They'll make fun of QAnon, not knowing anything about the mythical QAnon or anything about Q posts or what the information phenomenon itself is or means. They don't care. That's off limits. Everything over there is off limits. It's too far. It's out of bounds. They can't talk about that stuff. And they don't want to talk about that stuff or any information that they think comes from over there because they don't know anything about it. And to have to incorporate all that new information would mean that they're wrong about pretty much everything, most obviously Donald Trump and Donald Trump supporters. So they think that they have a very, very intelligent view of everything using only the information that exists within the central narrative, stuff that can appear on Twitter, because people who are primarily on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and YouTube for their information think that being edgy in that confined environment is the same as actually having edgy opinions, actually getting into groundbreaking territory, but it isn't at all. There's nothing smart about criticizing Joe Biden and saying Donald Trump is also bad. And the thing is, we need a new leader who's right down the center, who really brings the two sides of those people addicted to the central narrative who imagine themselves to be centrists together. And everyone will just be nice to one another and the country will be healed. But that's plainly not true. So my friend who does PR and is great for feedback. This is why I sent the press pack over to her. She asked me, hey, you know, I, I understand your story. I understand where you're coming from. She listens to the podcast, so she's familiar with all that. She voted for Trump. So it's not like she is the opposition or the enemy. It's nothing like that. But she said, you know, I would love to hear you have people on from the other side so that you could have a discussion with them. And I said, you know, I don't know who would actually do that, but it also isn't my priority. And she was like, well, what do you mean? Don't you want to be able to reach those people? And I said, well, no, not really. Like, that is not my intention. That's not my goal. I'm not trying to get people who believe as I used to believe 
to meet me somewhere in the middle. Like there's not stuff that I think they're right about because there's not stuff they're right about. The truth is they can't actually explain their own positions and then relate those positions to a broader context that still yields a consistent view of reality that is not available. There's not a person out there who I can have that discussion with. Unless, of course, we're talking about the Naomi Wolfs of the world who have already left the central narrative at many different points, but not the whole thing. Those people are great. I'm more than happy to have discussions with those people. But I also don't care about convincing those people that I'm right and they're wrong. If I had Naomi Wolf on, we would be talking about her amazing work in putting this team together that analyzes all the pharma company documents that are being released. That's the great and interesting work she's doing. And we would talk about how we both kind of left that mainstream liberal mindset, realizing that we were wrong and then trying to make up for it. We have that in common. And we would have a really interesting discussion about that, too. But I don't need to have a conversation with her so that I can prove Donald Trump is great and she can argue that he's not that great. That's not an interesting conversation. So my friend says, well, you know, I want my kids to grow up in a country where everybody doesn't hate everyone else. And I said, I want the exact same thing. And she's like, well, don't you have to find a midpoint where people can come together and compromise on some of this? And I said, no, that's not how this situation is going to progress. We are talking about a group of people at this point who support Joe Biden or still support the Democrat Communist Party. They still have not understood the concept of the Uniparty or the fact that the Uniparty is doing the same thing that uniparties across the world are doing, all in service of a global agenda that even Joe Biden's own advisor, Brian Deese, calls the liberal world order. All right. And you can even say, I'm wrong. It's not a global communist world order. It's a liberal world order. Well, the problem is the world order. Okay. That implies a one world order where there is a system of global governance that controls all the countries in the same way. America is then no longer a leader in any regard. And the people of America don't have any ability whatsoever to guide the future of their country. Their decision-making power is reduced to zero. And of course, that's what we can see with stolen elections. If you can't get to that point and you can't understand that and you can't wrap your head around that, it's not for me to figure out a place that the two of us can compromise by me slowly giving ground on what is obviously the true state of the world so that I can give away enough true beliefs that I finally arrive at a compromise position that incorporates the false reality. And so she says, well, then how do you wake people up that way? How are people who are still in that position going to come back to the middle if you're not able to compromise with them. And I said to her, that's not how this is going to go. Okay. This is not about us convincing them on a series of facts that they will finally believe after being shown factual evidence that they were wrong about all of this stuff for two years and still haven't considered at any point that they actually might be wrong in any sort of big picture way. There's not some 
accumulation of facts that I can finally drop in their lap that's going to snap them out of that and say, oh, I see. I see what you mean. It actually does matter that they lied to us about lockdowns and masks and vaccines. They told us the vaccine was going to prevent infection and transmission and serious illness and hospitalization and death. And it doesn't prevent those things. That's not a factual error. They weren't trying their best and turned out wrong. They knew that from the beginning. They pushed all these things under emergency use authorization from the beginning. Likewise, with election fraud, there's not a compromised position on election fraud. Election fraud happened. The stolen election happened. Maladministration happened. And people who don't understand that will either realize it or they won't. But it's going to be shown to them and it is going to be accepted by the culture at large. So there's no point in me pretending that some part of the picture about the stolen election is wrong. I'm not going to incorporate the false reality where Joe Biden actually got 81 million real legal American votes. That's not possible. We're told Donald Trump was hated. Somehow, despite that hate, he received 12 million more votes than he did in 2016. He went up from about 63 million to about 75 million, according to the reported numbers. In a normal election in the country, a general election where there are about 130 million votes cast, where is Donald Trump going to get 12 million additional votes? Well, it's likely that he would get them from the Democrat Party. So Hillary Clinton's number would drop by 12 million and those votes would go to Donald Trump for him to achieve the 12 million vote growth that he achieved. And with that normal 130 million, Joe Biden's total would have dropped 12 million from Hillary's reported total down from 66 to 54. But Joe Biden was reported to have received 81 million real legal American votes. So we don't need to only ask ourselves where Donald Trump got the other 12 million. It's where did Joe Biden get the 27 million? Because somehow we need 27 million new voters, a full 20% growth over the historical average from the last few general elections to get to the reported numbers from 2020. How do we get there? We're told, oh, it was the mail-in ballots. More people were able to participate because of the mail-in ballots. Well, okay, Kami. You got 27 million more voters, a 20% increase in turnout because of mail-in ballots. And we are supposed to believe that all of those are real legal American votes. There were 27 million people who did not feel like voting in the most controversial election of all time in 2016, but made sure to come out to vote for Joe Biden, who campaigned from his basement. You see, there's not a compromised position on that. They can stick to the position that Joe Biden really got 81 million real legal votes and is the legitimate president of the United States of America, that he was certified legitimately, that the electors went legitimately and that he was inaugurated legitimately. They can stick with all of that, but they will eventually find out that's not true. And so in the meantime, between when it becomes blatantly obvious to people who have ignored information outside of the central narrative for two years. And now it doesn't fall to me to adjust my opinion so that we can somewhere meet in the middle. Joe Biden was either legitimately elected and inaugurated or he was not. 
It's only either one thing or the other. And the people we're talking about are people who have not considered they might be wrong. They have not considered that it might be the other thing, that the election was stolen, that the public health institutions actually lied to everybody and weren't just mistaken because the difference in those two things is enormous in terms of what our world is actually like. If you think all this stuff is just a mistake, all of the errors from the public health community and from our politicians in terms of COVID, from all the experts and the fact checkers and the debunkers and the censorship on social media, if that's all just a honest mistake, well, then we don't need to do anything about it. We just have to realize that these people make mistakes over and over and over and over and over again. And no one should try to hold them accountable for any of it because they were doing their best. So we can actually just stop paying attention to all of that. COVID's over. Everything's fine now. Everyone just did their best. But that's not true. The people did not do their best. We knew that from the beginning. It is there in their own words, in their own FOIA documents, in Fauci's own FOIA emails. And that actually matters because hundreds of millions of people in the world have been pushed into extreme poverty and drug addiction and alcohol addiction, domestic abuse, child abuse, sexual abuse. All of those things have skyrocketed depression, anxiety, loneliness, isolation. People are unemployed. Businesses have been destroyed. All of that based on lies. It actually does matter that we say that and that we deal with the reality as it exists rather than pretending that reality is not true and the false reality is just equally as true. And then we just all agree to get along. So she says, you know, I've lost good friends over this time. And I say, well, I have two people I thought were my good friends tried to cancel me. They made up stories about things I had done. They spread rumors about how I had somehow lost my mind because I was no longer saying the things that they approved of. I had a person whose wedding I was in blame me for the very violent insurrection. So I get that. And she says, yeah, but I'm still like friends with some people who are on that side. And, you know, I would like us all to be able to to reach some point where we can be together again on all of this stuff so that we're not constantly on opposite sides of these important issues. And I say, okay, let me explain it like this. This is how it's going to go. There's going to be a moment at which these people can no longer deny the reality or they can continue to deny the reality and they will be the ones who are isolated because everybody else will have accepted reality as it exists in the real world at some point. And so I said, let's take this out of the realm of politics completely. Okay. Let's say that you and I have a friend and you guys run this as I go through it for yourselves too. Your friend can be man or woman. You can even use they's and them's if you like. But in our conversation, I said, okay, we both have a female friend and we have very strong reason to believe our female friend is being cheated on by her boyfriend or her spouse. So our good female friend is being cheated on by her husband. What do we do? 
We decide we're going to tell her what we know because we're honest people. We believe our case is proven and we don't want to see our friend get hurt. So we sit our friend down and we say, hey, really sorry to tell you this, but your husband's cheating on you. And our friend says, no, that can't be. And gets really mad at both of us for telling her about this. I can't believe you're trying to ruin my relationship. What are your motivations? This is all crazy. I don't believe you. And we can't be friends anymore. Says a bunch of mean things. The whole thing ends in a fight. And we all go our separate ways. And I say, hey, I understand the situation is upsetting. I know what I know. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. I think you're going to realize it for yourself someday. And at that point, maybe you'll feel differently about me trying to communicate that truth to you. And I'll try to understand that that person was just delivered some upsetting information by me. And I'll try not to take it personally. It's hard to hear stuff like that. And the easiest thing is to get mad at the messenger. And I will content myself with that, knowing that I tried to give truth to my friend and I believe it's my moral responsibility to do that. Now, my friend who wants to find the compromise unifying position might go back and talk to our mutual friend who no longer likes me. And she might say, hey, I think we were just trying to give you a heads up. I understand that this is really upsetting for you. Hey, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're wrong. And I'm sorry that I upset you. And you can try to rebuild a peaceful relationship of truth and trust and respect. But the empirical reality remains. It's either A, your husband's cheating on you or B, your husband's not cheating on you. But there will eventually come a moment where you walk back into your house when your husband thought you were away and you see your husband cheating on you on your couch with another woman. And at that point, there is no more denying the truth that was already communicated to you a long time ago by people looking out for your best interests because you were making a mistake that has profound consequences in your life. And again, we've all been there. We have all failed to take good advice. We have all failed to act on good information when it could have benefited us the most. I'm not better than anybody else, and I'm not trying to say that. I'm trying to say that in this vast, complicated, complex world we live in, we do not ever have full knowledge about any situation. And that is especially true if we are not paying attention to the details of our lives and if we are choosing not to see what we see, if we are choosing not to see what is put in front of us, if we are avoiding reality in favor of the stories we tell ourselves, then we are going to miss a lot of important information. And when we do that, we make it more likely that we could be hurt or misled or betrayed. It actually does matter that we are able to observe reality and make our decisions based off that reality. We will get the best outcomes for ourselves when we do that, when we are open to hearing information that might blow our world apart. And for people who believe they're in a happy marriage and it turns out they're being cheated on, that's exactly the sort of information that could do that. That would be extremely upsetting. Now, our friend could have reacted in different ways. 
Our friend could have said, oh man, that doesn't sound right. What sort of evidence do you have for that? And we could go through it and she might still not be convinced, but at least she listened. And now she's going to look out for signs that we might be right. And it's good to be skeptical. It's good to have doubt. That's part of being reasonable in general. And she might come away not believing us, but still not imagining that we are somehow her enemies and that we weren't acting in good faith by trying to relay what we know. That's a fine position too. People generally don't want to believe horrible things that affect their lives in significant ways and will immediately change their view of reality, how they are perceived by the people around them, including the people most important to them. People don't want to believe that stuff's true, and they don't want to believe it's true about their government. They don't want to believe that their government can lie to them about a pandemic. They don't want to believe that their government and their media will lie to them about the winner of an election. But the critical thing to understand is it's either only A or B. The husband is cheating or he's not. The government lied or they didn't. The media lies or they don't. And depending on the level of denial or how important the subject might be, someone might not want to believe it until it's right in their face and it affects their own lives and they have no choice but to accept the information or go crazy. And that is the point we will inevitably reach when it comes to all of these issues. Okay, we have already surpassed the point where the media is able to control the entire narrative, to control the entire conversation. If you understand how the information stream flows, how this works at this point, then you will understand that people who are engaging the most with reality and doing the most research into that reality, trying to understand it the best, are the people pushing that information out where it spreads and then it's analyzed, it's vetted, and it spreads more. Eventually, experts begin to see it and they weigh in and it's vetted again. And then it spreads more and it's vetted more and more experts have their eyes on it. This is exactly what happened with the vaccine's ineffectiveness and its side effects. That information was known by a very small number of people, and that number grew and grew and grew. And now that point of view is widely accepted in society. It is backed up completely by the data. And even the public health experts have had to scale back their claims about the vaccine, including its effectiveness, its ability to prevent infection or transmission, its ability to prevent death, the fact that it's done nothing to bring down COVID cases, not that that standard matters at all. And then at a certain point, it just becomes common knowledge that the claim is true and the people who continue to deny it end up isolating themselves because they want to remain in denial about the underlying claim. Eventually, we reach the point where the underlying truth is no longer something we can deny. That's the point. That is the point we will reach as a society. And so the goal is to spread the truth enough to reach that point. It's not to figure out how to compromise with the people on the other side. What's the compromise? Well, he probably only cheats sometimes. And hey, okay, if you want to accept that, Go right ahead. That's not my business. It's not my personal decision. 
But the underlying fact still remains the husband cheats. That is the moment everyone has to have. And as we continue down the timeline, more people are having that realization every day, which is why you can see the polls continue to travel in the opposite direction of Joe Biden. It's why vaccine demand is plummeting, no matter how many new pandemics they try to suggest we're about to have. It's why people don't wear masks anymore. And they would have the same realization about the election if they simply looked. Again, just last week, Wisconsin's Supreme Court said that the drop boxes were illegal. They weren't just illegal from now on. They were illegal the whole time. When the election in 2020 happened, we're talking about over 100,000 votes in an election in a state that we were told was won by 21,000 votes. And the media will ignore Wisconsin. Twitter and Instagram will censor information about the Supreme Court's decision. And a lot of people will be able to continue denying that it's real. They won't even know if someone tells them they will still deny it. What happens when it's two states? What happens when it's 10? What happens when it's 20? What happens when it's all 50? Because election fraud and maladministration did occur in all 50. Now, am I saying that Trump won all 50? No, but he probably got pretty damn close. And eventually every person will realize this for themselves or they'll remain in denial and they'll go nuts. But at no point are we required to scale back what we know is true to try to meet these people in the middle as if there is something there we can unify around. The elections are stolen. That's not something to abide. That's not something to deal with. That's not something that we can compromise on. That's something that must be fixed before our country reaches its end point. My interest is not in getting people to agree with me. My interest is to share the verifiable truth and hope that other people share that verifiable truth. Now, do I express my opinions? Do I speculate? Yes, I do. It's pretty clear when I'm doing that. And it's pretty clear what the basis for me doing that is, because I also share the evidence that leads me to those conclusions. All that matters is the underlying truth and whether or not that underlying truth will eventually be exposed to everyone. I am claiming that it will. Now, you could be a doomer and not believe me. You could believe that we don't have enough control over the narrative to spread these things far and wide and convince people. You could believe that. I don't believe that. You could believe that. But if you believe like I do, that that moment is inevitable, then in the meantime, we don't pretend the other side is sort of right. The crazy thing is that no one would even respect the other position, if it were not for the information environment we currently find ourselves in, people who are trapped in the central narrative bubble, whether it's because they get their information from television news or legacy newspapers or Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, all of those outlets exist inside a propaganda and censorship bubble. 
the people who get their information from that believe that there are two sides within that bubble. And that's who they're always arguing with. All the information in there is correct. Any information that's not in there is not in there because it's incorrect. And so they only need to deal with the information inside the bubble and they can take the edgiest possible position and think that they're very smart and very controversial because they have found a position that makes each side a little mad because they're the earliest adopters of the new information that breaks into the bubble. But that's simply not true. They are avoiding all of the information that is outside that bubble, either intentionally or more likely unwittingly, because people don't really grapple with what it means to be getting your information inside censored spaces and to be getting information that is derived from sources dedicated to propagandizing the public, which is what all of the mainstream media is dedicated to doing. And that is reinforced by the tech companies, by the universities, by our entertainment industry, and by our culture at large. And that's also true for people on our side or ostensibly on our side, influencers on our side. For instance, this weekend, Saturday night, it was claimed on the internet that Anons over on 4chan had been able to hack into Hunter Biden's iCloud and they were able to retrieve 450 gigabytes of brand new information that they were going to host as torrents on a variety of sites so that it could never be taken down and the entire community would have access to that information. Now, if that was true, that would be good news. I am all for all of the Hunter Biden stuff and the Joe Biden stuff and every other Biden thing being fully out there so that people can know it, they can know it's true, and they can wrestle with what that means. I've been trying to convince people of that since October 2020, when it was obvious at that point that the laptop was real and that the 51 former intelligence officials who said it had the markings of Russian disinformation were lying. That was obvious from the beginning. It was obvious that Hunter was a drug addict who liked hookers and liked filming himself having sex. It was obvious that the Biden family was compromised by at least Russia, Ukraine and China. All of that was there for anyone to see for themselves before the 2020 election. Many people chose not to for multiple reasons. One of them is that they were lied to by intelligence officials. Another is that they didn't like Donald Trump and wouldn't believe anything that might sway them from the moral self-righteousness they felt about voting Donald Trump out of office and instead voting for a man who was mentored in politics by a Klansman and has been corrupt for his entire career. But they didn't want to hear that. So they accepted with no evidence that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. At that point, the people releasing that information were Miles Guo's team at G News, Jack Maxey and Rudy Giuliani, who had initially retrieved the laptop from John Paul McIsaac. And as that information flowed out, misinformation got muddled in with it. And we began seeing pictures and videos 
that were not on the laptop and were not Hunter Biden. And the presence of that misinformation actually muddied the waters for the good information. Now, since then, Garrett Ziegler has put a team of researchers together at Marco Polo, and they have done a forensic analysis trying to locate each and every criminal violation on that laptop. And they are compiling a report that will be released hopefully soon. I think it's coming in the next month or two months, but I'm not in control of that. Their priority is to have an airtight report when it finally comes out, which means that every little word and detail and every exhibit is exactly right and irrefutable. That is a complicated process, but let's be clear about what they're doing because people will often try to claim that they are somehow gatekeeping this information by not having released the report early enough, which intentionally misunderstands the purpose of the report. And it intentionally misunderstands their motivations in the report. Other people in possession of the laptop can be producing their own research and could have been doing so for the entire time they've had the laptop. Now, a few months ago, Jack Maxey came out and made the claim that he was going to drop this nuclear bomb of the Hunter laptop. There were 450 gigabytes of unknown information. They were maybe going to hand it over to WikiLeaks. Maybe it was going to go to Kim.com and people were going to release it on the internet and then everyone could look at it. Now that should set off a small alarm bell. And you might say, Hey, so Jack Maxey had 450 gigabytes and this thing is claimed to be 450 gigabytes. Could those potentially be the same things? And it turns out that they could potentially be the same things. There's some indication that the information that was dropped on Saturday night came through directly or indirectly from Jack Maxey. I don't know the answer to that. And it doesn't really matter. What matters is whether or not the information that was released Saturday night is legitimate and whether or not it's new and whether or not it's being accurately described. And it does not seem to be accurately described. It seems like what was released on Saturday night was a 28 gigabyte backup that Marco Polo was able to crack a month ago and perhaps the rest of that original laptop. Now there were multiple laptops and if Jack Maxey has access to those, then it's up to him to release them or to say that he has access to those. And I can't make any claims about that. But what has been released so far gives no indication whatsoever that any of this information is new. And by new, I mean anything that adds on to what Marco Polo has already analyzed or released. But people have jumped all over this, which in one sense is great. People should jump all over the Hunter Biden stuff. What is on that laptop is damning across multiple levels. Hunter Biden has committed drug crimes. He's committed gun crimes. There is plenty of political and business corruption evidence on that laptop. And there's evidence of Hunter buying hookers and transporting them across state lines. And, you know, your own morality can guide you in how you view that. But you should at least admit 
that for the son of a president to be involved in any of that stuff should be a massive scandal that is covered around the clock by the mainstream media. And it should have been that way for nearly two years now, but it hasn't been because the media doesn't want anyone to know that. And right there, that should signal to everyone that what is in the central narrative is wholly insufficient when it comes to guiding your decision-making process about a range of important issues. And if the social media companies, the legacy social media companies are not allowing you to see any of this to the point where they have now moved your knowledge timeline back a year and a half, they're making it so things you knew a year and a half ago are things you don't know until now. That should tell you that your information stream is limited and polluted and that you need to branch out. You are inside the bubble and what is outside the bubble is not reaching you. And so all of a sudden there are thousands upon thousands, maybe even millions of people who believe they are now getting brand new information from this leak, but that's not what's happening. And they are spreading this information and stories about this information without having analyzed it or even taken the time to understand that. And one of the key issues here is this meme about pedo Peter being Joe Biden, being the way Hunter Biden has his father, Joe Biden's name saved in Hunter's phone. And that claim, false as it is, has gone viral. And people like Jack Posobiec and Raheem Kassam, who are guys I'm a fan of, I think that they generally do really good work, but they have shared this same false claim. And not only is it a false claim, if you simply look at the text messages being referred to, the screenshots of the iMessage account being referred to, it is self-evident that that claim is false. Pedo Peter is not Joe Biden, and it is not Bagman Hunter whoremonger Hunter, corrupt businessman Hunter, who saved a contact with that name. Now, bear with me for a second, because this is where it gets a little complicated, especially if you have to unwind the misconception that went viral this weekend. Okay. Bo Biden, Hunter Biden's brother, Joe Biden's son, the son who was the golden boy who died from cancer a few years ago, he had a son that he named Robert Hunter Biden after his brother, Robert Hunter Biden. Okay. Hunter Biden's first name, his legal first name is Robert. His full name is Robert Hunter Biden. Robert Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, has a nephew, his brother's son, also named Robert Hunter Biden. So to distinguish them, there is Bagman Hunter and Little Hunter. Okay. Bagman Hunter is Little Hunter's uncle. Now, this is going to be a little hard because I don't have the visual aid in front of me on an audio podcast. If you want to see the screenshot, you can go to my truth social, or you can go to telegram. You can see the screenshot that I am referring to. The screenshot is a shot of someone's iMessage, and you can see a list of text conversations. Mom, Sarah Biden, Poppy, Jill Biden. And then there are a few texts with the contact name, 
pedo Peter. And these are in group texts. One of the group texts is mom and pedo Peter. One of them is aunt Ashley and pedo Peter. One of them is Jill Biden and pedo Peter. Okay. So just knowing that there is enough right there to know that this is not Bagman Hunter's iMessage account. And how do we know that? Well, Hunter Biden, Bagman Hunter, would not call his sister Ashley Biden Aunt Ashley. And that should absolutely be obvious. He also doesn't call Jill Biden mom. In fact, over the weekend, the Daily Mail and other outlets published communications from Bagman Hunter, where he refers to Jill Biden as the C word. I'll be polite today. Also, Jill Biden is not Hunter Biden's mom. Hunter Biden's mom was killed in a car accident. So Hunter Biden would not have a contact texting him in his phone that is labeled mom. He especially would not have a contact in his phone labeled mom and a different contact in his phone labeled Jill Biden. So again, you can tell that this is not Bagman Hunter's iMessage account. There are two separate group texts in this one screenshot. One of them is mom and pedo Peter. The other one is Jill Biden and pedo Peter. So again, not Bagman Hunter's iMessage account. Now, the conversation that is highlighted in this particular screenshot is the conversation between the person whose iMessage account this is and mom and pedo Peter. In the conversation in this screenshot, that means the two people in the conversation with the person whose iMessage account this is are mom and pedo Peter. The conversation coming in from mom is about where she is going to pick up Hunter and Natalie. And so if mom is Hallie Biden, Bo's ex-wife, then it makes perfect sense that she is texting her two children, little Hunter and Natalie, about appointments and rides to those appointments and logistics as the conversation goes. And whoever pedo Peter is says they taking you to see Unka at Uncle Jim's birthday. Now, Unka is how those kids refer to Bagman Hunter, which is something you would know if you were familiar with the material as the Marco Polo group and Garrett Ziegler are. Now, if you followed this show for a long time, you'll know that I have interviewed Garrett Ziegler on this show. And I remain in contact with him and with the Marco Polo group. So I'm actually able to ask them these questions, which I do because it is important for me to try to be as correct about this stuff as I can so that I am not confusing anyone who listens to this show. And so that you can be prepared when you see misinformation to refute it and return the conversation to verifiable truth. And at that point, you can have your opinions. You can speculate. You can do whatever you want. But it's important that as a baseline, we are all centered on finding the truth. Also, in this same conversation, 
the person labeled as mom says specifically Nana slash pop picking I both up at Max Garden. Okay. And that's probably a typo that meant to be the letter U. Nana slash pop picking you both up at Max Garden. So if this is Bagman Hunter's iMessage and he's talking to mom, who would then be Jill Biden, even though Hunter's actual mom is dead and he does not call Jill mom, who are Nana and pop? If mom is Jill Biden and she's talking to Bagman Hunter Biden, who are Nana and pop? Since that's an absurd question, you can get rid of the idea that mom in this instance is Jill Biden. On the other hand, it makes absolutely perfect sense if mom in this instance is Hallie Biden to be telling her kids that their grandparents are going to pick them up. All that's required to understand this is to simply read through the contacts and through the conversation. And you can simply erase all doubt. This is not Bagman Hunter's iMessage, and whoever Pedo Peter is, is not Joe Biden. No matter how much anyone wants it to be, no matter how fun the memes are, and no matter how many influencers repost and share this, it is still false. And that matters, okay? And by the way, who in the world could possibly believe that I am trying to defend Joe or Hunter Biden in this way? You would have had to never listen to my show to actually believe this. I have been harping about this stuff for nearly two years now. I literally used to start my show every day by saying, welcome to day whatever of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. One of the most corrupt politicians in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth, Hunter Biden. I was saying that because I already knew all of this stuff that apparently a bunch of very popular, very successful influencers just found out this weekend. Nothing about anything I have said should lead anybody to believe that I don't think Joe Biden is a creep and a pervert whose degeneracy has ruined his children's lives. Hunter and Ashley are both drug addicts and sex addicts. And their lives have been destroyed by their father's behavior and his political ambitions, not to mention his corruption and how he uses them to aid his corruption. I think the entire family is despicable and I blame Joe Biden even more than I blame Hunter. But nonetheless, the truth matters. And the truth is that Hunter Biden, bagman Hunter Biden, does not have his father, Joe Biden, saved in his phone as pedo Peter. That just isn't true. So the likely truth of the situation, well, the necessary truth is that the iMessage account we're seeing is either Natalie's or it's little hunters. And I think that it is Natalie's to the point of near certainty, but leaving room that that might be incorrect. But let's assume it's Natalie's if it turns out to be little hunters, then just reverse the reasoning here, reverse the characters within this reasoning, and it will still fit. So if it's Natalie's, then Pedo Peter is little hunter, Bo's son, Natalie's brother, 
So the question then becomes, why did Natalie Biden save her brother's name as pedo Peter? And whatever answer there might be to that question is probably a symptom of the family's degeneracy and is even weirder than Bagman Hunter using that name for a contact saved in his phone. Now, if you're familiar with how iMessage works, if you save your contact in a certain way, then the other people who have your contact saved can have the option to save your contact the same way you have it saved. It gives you the option to update your contact's name and photo so that it reflects the exact contact that they have for themselves in their phone. So assuming this is Natalie Biden's iMessage, then Pedo Peter is Little Hunter, and either she chose that name for him or he chose that name for himself. I think the overwhelming likelihood is that she chose that name for him rather than him choosing that name for himself, because it would be very weird in a group text with their mom for their mom to see little Hunter identifying himself as pedo Peter. Now, I'm sorry if all of this was a little too granular or I lost you at some point in the meantime. Why this matters is because people are sharing this like crazy. People with large platforms who many of us have come to trust over time are sharing this incorrect information and they're sharing it wide. It is going wide. And despite the family's overall degeneracy, it actually matters that we're communicating this information accurately because we don't want the real information to be ignored as it comes out by people who have seen information on the same subject come out and be false. Likewise, as I've said many times, the idea that there is either child pornography or or proof of Hunter, Bagman Hunter, procuring underage girls for sex, that's not on the laptop. I'm not saying it's impossible that that stuff exists somewhere. I'm saying there's no evidence it's on the laptop. From everything I know about the laptop and from everything the Marco Polo group has communicated directly to me about the laptop. If there was... The Marco Polo group would have no problem announcing that they have handed that stuff over to authorities. And I would imagine that if anyone on the boards found it, they would have announced it to the world. But no one has. Now, a lot of people are suggesting that maybe, maybe the hackers on 4chan got into Hunter Biden's current iCloud account, which has information that has been created since the laptop came into the possession of John Paul MacIsaac in late 2019. Now, while that may be possible, there is no indication that it's true as of yet. And again, none of this is to disrespect any of the people doing the work on the boards. I literally wrote 25,000 words about how much I respect what those people are doing. But we can't at some point just decide that truth and accuracy no longer matter. That's what the fake news does. They say they don't care if their stories are accurate because they still help their side. That's what they claim when they hide evidence of election fraud. Well, it's just 
it's so important that we got rid of Donald Trump. And it's what they claim when they say that Donald Trump called deceased veterans suckers and losers. It's how they justified all the Stormy Daniels and Michael Avenatti nonsense. There's no point at which that becomes okay just because it helps our side. And the truth is, it doesn't help our side. We already have everything we need to convince any reasonable person who will open their mind and listen that we were lied to about the pandemic, that Joe Biden didn't win the election, that the entire family is degenerate and corrupt and perverted. We win that battle by sharing the true information we have and communicating its importance and what its meaning is in the bigger picture, especially as the fake president makes policy moves that suggest the compromise from these adversarial nations actually does have an effect on the policy he tries to implement. We don't need made up claims about the identity of pedo Peter to hammer this home. But let's say for a second that we do, because clearly the virality of these claims has been boosted this weekend. Now, there is much more damning stuff that has been coming out from Marco Polo with exclusives in the New York Post, The Sun and The Daily Mail. And those stories themselves are getting re-reported and all of that is going viral. And that's excellent. That's how it should happen. And of course, we can continue sharing all of that through our independent channels and bringing that information to the surface, despite the lack of overwhelming mainstream media coverage. But that project would be much, much easier if these prominent influencers on legacy platforms were actually contending with the information environment they exist in when they're on Twitter and when they're on Instagram. This shouldn't be new information to people like Jack Posobiec, Raheem Kassam, DC Drano. And maybe that's part of the problem. They know that this information is generally true. So when a new piece of information comes along that seems like it maps perfectly, they'll share it without question, particularly if it gets to them from a source they consider reliable. But the underlying truth is all that matters. And I would suggest that if you spend your time on Instagram and you spend your time on Twitter, then you are causing yourself to be behind in the informational timeline. And then it becomes a matter of how far behind you are. And here's another example from two people that I have a degree of respect for. Richard Barris, I have great respect for. He's a pollster. He's an excellent pollster. And he does political analysis, which I sometimes agree with and sometimes don't agree with. And then Tim Pool, who I think has been behind the timeline and is still behind the timeline on many things, but is really coming around nicely. And I appreciate the work he's doing now. So let's hear them discuss Twitter censorship. Alex Berenson. Yeah. So uh, Elon Musk tweeted to Alex Berenson, a journalist. Can you say more about this? Quote, pressures that the government may have placed on Twitter. This is interesting. Alex Berenson. Uh, Berenson was a uh, is a journalist. He was tweeting about vaccines, very skeptical and, and talking about a lot of the data. And then he got suspended. He filed a lawsuit. He won. Mm. Nobody expected this to happen because everyone believes that when you get banned from Twitter or whatever, that you file a lawsuit and then it gets thrown out. Most of his suit did get thrown out, but 
breach of, I think there was breach of contract, which persisted. So Alex says, I wish I could, Elon Musk, but the settlement with Twitter prevents me from doing so. However, in the near future, I hope to hope and expect to have more to report. On a Substack post, talking about how he got his account back, he said, he says, I need to add one thing. The settlement does not end my investigation into the pressures that the government may have placed on Twitter to suspend my account. Mm. I will have more to say on that issue in the near future. I made a promise to readers last month, and I take my promise, promises to readers seriously. Alex Berenson seems to have some kind of information that the government is actively pressuring Twitter to engage in censorship. Better watch out. If Elon Musk takes this company over, it's going to be really interesting to find out what happens. But how much do you want to bet? Say it's October. Elon Musk, all the news happens. Elon Musk now owns Twitter. Then someone immediately says, okay, Elon, what was going on? And he goes, I can't talk about it. How much do you want to bet? Well, if everyone, I don't know how many people read what he was talking about last month, but last month when uh, he discussed this on his Substack, he said, look, I think we're getting close to an agreement, basically, but any agreement I make, I promise, will not exclude me from being able to make this public anything we may find in discovery surrounding this issue. And I think the reason for that, um, or why it's important, is because that gets to the crux of it. And we had those whistleblowers come out with the uh, disinformation government's uh, bureau, whatever they were calling it, where initially the government said they weren't really policing everyone's misinformation. This was only going to be targeting Russian disinformation and security stuff. But that wasn't true. So if the government, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but if from what we hear from others, um, and Viva and Robert talk about this a lot, this is the, that's the linchpin. So if they were pressuring these social media companies, that opens up a whole new Pandora's box. Okay, so they're wondering about whether or not there's proof that the government has influenced Twitter's decisions about who and what to censor. But that's not something we need to speculate about. That is something that is proven beyond any doubt. It's proven in Dr. Shiva's case, and it's proven... In the FOIA documents that Judicial Watch released in April of 2021, where my picture appears in a post by my friend, the actress Samita Armstrong, we were all at a Gavin Newsom recall signature drive event. We were out on the street in front of Erwan in Hollywood, California, trying to get signatures calling for Gavin Newsom's recall. And she posted a video on Instagram of me discussing how the California Secretary of State's office had changed my voter registration to permanent mail-in voting without my permission. Now, somehow this got to the California Secretary of State's office and the California Secretary of State highlighted this post. They got in touch with representatives of the tech companies and with a political public relations firm called SKD Knickerbocker who did PR for the Joe Biden campaign and collectively they decided that this post needed to be censored within the next two months my accounts were banned on Twitter and Instagram that document was recovered through a Freedom of Information Act request by Tom Fitton and Judicial Watch that is direct, irrefutable evidence of the government 
working in coordination with the tech companies to censor American citizens' political speech in violation of the First Amendment. So we don't actually need to speculate on whether or not that happens. It just does happen. Now, what we don't necessarily know is the scale of the operation there. And we may not know all the mechanics, but we certainly know that the government coordinates with the tech companies to censor American citizens. That should not be in doubt. The only way to doubt that is to have not brought yourself outside the central narrative bubble that is confining the conversation on Instagram and Twitter. And we are talking about people who may have signed up for accounts on other platforms, but still primarily get their information and have the political conversation on Instagram and Twitter and still remain up on YouTube and engage with a legacy information audience through legacy social media outlets. Again, I'm not insulting Tim Pool or Richard Barris by saying this. I have a lot of respect for them. It's entirely possible they might be right about things I'm wrong about. But in this instance, there is no question. There is only a timeline delay on both of them that extends for well over a year and probably closer to two years. And truthfully, longer than that, at least about this subject. There are certainly subjects where I find new information that is only new to me and is not new to other people, which indicates that I am behind on the timeline compared to them and compared to the reality in which that timeline actually evolves. So this is not about me. This is about knowing information as it is created in observable empirical reality, because knowing that information sooner rather than later allows you to adjust your map of reality and it allows you to adjust your decision-making process when it comes to critical events in your life. It actually does matter whether or not you are two years behind the timeline on election fraud or vaccine side effects. How many people's lives could have been saved? How many people's long-term health still could be saved? If the media and the tech companies and the public health community hadn't skewed their timelines on vaccine side effects, vaccine safety and efficacy by six months or a year or a year and a half or two years. Even for people who went along with the vaccine narrative at the beginning and got their first shot or got their booster shot, it still matters for them that they reach the truth as fast as possible. So they will stop taking more boosters. These are the sorts of problems that would be eliminated entirely if as a society we actually had a commitment to free and open conversation, especially about important issues, as our First Amendment guarantees us. But instead, we have an informational bubble that is formed specifically by our betters in service of limiting our conversation and our knowledge and our ability to spread that knowledge and most importantly, create consensus because consensus is what we actually unify around. Okay. We unify around consensus. People reach similar conclusions based on similar information. And that indicates that their moral thinking in some way is similar as well. 
But we cannot reach consensus when we have massive portions of the population in a restricted information environment where the consensus truth is wholly unreachable to them or they are incentivized to ignore it. And that's the problem that we face. That problem is not solved by us deciding that we should compromise our positions with people who are verifiably incorrect about objective empirical reality. And I know that it feels better for everybody to agree about something in the middle so we can still go on being friends and talk about something else. That is so many people's motivation. And I appreciate where you're coming from. Okay. I really, really do. But where has that gotten us? Where has it gotten us? The place that gets us is the place we have been for the last two years where people who knew masks didn't work, wore them anyway. And not because the government told them to. It's so that they didn't have to hear from the most clueless people on the entire planet about how they are indirectly killing someone's grandmother. At some point, we all need to make the decision for ourselves that we are going to stand up in the face of false information. And it doesn't matter whether or not the person ends up agreeing with you. It matters whether or not you speak truth and refuse to compromise by incorporating falsehoods into what you're willing to say. And if I sound a little bit pissed off about this. It's because a little bit I am because this is the single most frustrating part of this. There's no magical middle position that we can all coalesce around. We're talking about people who are entirely consumed or mostly consumed by a completely false reality that has been constructed for them to take advantage of them by the most powerful institutions in the world. And it just so happens that all of those positions benefit the most powerful people and institutions in the world. And they benefit the agenda of the most powerful people and institutions in the world. So we can't fight that agenda and those people who are primarily responsible for the rot and decay we see in societies across the world, including our own, By pretending that these people must be right about this or that aspect of what they're saying, simply so that we can keep from having difficult and contentious conversations. The conversation is worth it. You have to commit to it. That's how we get to the right point. There is an underlying verifiable truth in all this, and I'm not saying I always have it, but if we can't discern right from wrong and we're not willing to stand up for what's right what we know to be right and can prove is right, then we're not doing our jobs getting this thing back on track. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!